0: Welcome to another episode of the Deal with Yield, your podcast covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. Today, I will be interviewing Steve Antover for a behind-the-scenes update on the AnswerPlot program. Steve is the senior manager of the AnswerPlot operations for Winfield United. So, Steve, every year we get to look at. Insights that come out of the Answer Plot Program. Every year I spend unlimited amount of days in the summer in the Answer Plots, but help us better understand the process of how we get these insights. And inside of that, to start this off, can you give us a quick overview of the Answer Plot Program and maybe how you're involved with the Answer Plot Program to introduce our listeners to the Answer Plots?
1: Oh, well, Sure. To start with, answer plots are kind of our proving grounds for new seed products, seed care items, agronomic products and practices, and so we do R&D. But we also use it as our educational platform for owners and growers. We can have uh, field days, and, and people can come to answer plots and touch and feel and see products uh, and, and their effects on the crops sometimes, or do some general agronomic training too.
0: So can you give us an idea of headquarters, where that's located, who operates out of there, and how chaotic is it over there right now?
1: We we have what we call a hub-and-spoke model. So the hub would be the operations center and shared operations in Minton, Iowa. And then we have remote crews that live in territory, and they manage a territory about the size of a state or half a state sometimes, depending on the density of acres or density of business in an area. And travel throughout their territory to manage the sites. Um, usually a given team is responsible for about eight to ten sites, depending on the project load. And then we package all of our seed, maintain equipment, move trucks in and out of our shared operations center to and from the crews to source some seed and, and uh, a variety of other needs. But.
0: So to give a, the listeners an idea, eight to ten sites across the geography of, say, a state, how many acres is that? And how many crew members would that include to make sure that operations are done on time for a proper data collection?
1: Well, we have 15 crews currently, and their distribution around the country looks about like the map of the corn and soybean acres, if you were imagining that. That's the area we operate in, the Corn Belt down into the, the Mississippi Delta they travel through the area, manage fields, just like any other farmer does, but maybe with a lot more detail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we manage trials, we manage demos, a number of applications. Uh, the guys have to worry about all those things. Uh, and and in, you know, really, they're project managers, so every season is a project, and you mm-hmm. manage everything from contracting land to sourcing inputs to lining up help collaboration, hiring, managing labor, and keeping task lists rolling so we get things done, and then holding folks accountable, making sure we get quality information, and then maybe above all, making sure we do it all safely and get everybody home at the end of the day.
0: So, Steve, uh, me being an agronomist in southern Minnesota, of course, uh, I'm biased to my favorite answer plot crew just because, of course, the one I work with, in my opinion, is the best one. But you talk about being research managers, product sourcers. Project overseers, all the different components that go into that. Talk a little bit about your veteran status there. I mean, I know we got some guys that have been doing this for quite a while. What is the longevity of what they're doing? And the passion around what they're doing is definitely seen from the outside looking into. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, yeah, I've been very fortunate, blessed with some really strong performers and and passionate folks within my immediate team and even uh, indirect team. If there's anything I wanted people to know about our answer plot operations guys is they've got a lot to balance. And when they go to the field, it's so do large growers. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, i got to check the forecast at 10 different locations. And we need to do side dressing here. We need to spray over there. I've only got two guys today. One's off sick. You know, all those things that happen. And uh, I better get this done by Wednesday because it rains. I can do stand counts when it's muddy, but I can't do that. And so, you know, i got to hand boom this on. All those things, there's quite a balance to it. And I can't say enough about my teams and how they figure that out. I'm not saying we do it perfect, but the decisions you have to make on a day-to-day basis could probably drive anybody nuts.
0: Yeah, we all know that environment pretty well, but uh, those guys get to experience it every year, every year
1: well they worry just like a grower with their own crop they don't have uh, a lot of dollars at risk like a farmer but
0: yep so being so close to the at least the Minnesota crew and talking to them I know that a lot of times these guys they operate almost as a family, almost as a farming operation should around those answer plots. That's their given set of land and that's what they're given to make a go out of it. Their go is quality produced data. And a lot of times that's their focus along with mine in coaching them through that. So a lot of times we're talking day to day. I know they're talking hour to hour, minute to minute, covering different sites. Sometimes it's divide and conquer strategy based on and what they got to get done. Sometimes it's a group effort. Can you talk a little bit more about the size and the scale of the answer plot? Sometimes it's hard to fathom our plot size our equipment size what we go through day-to-day site-to-site can you talk a little bit about the logistical challenges that might present themselves around those types of things
1: yeah first of all the guys relate pretty well to a large grower you know large growers have to move equipment up and down the road and their fields are spread multiple counties usually we're spread out amongst a lot of counties and sometimes a couple different states our field sizes are smaller of course but the logistical challenges are very similar. From a scope side, you know, we have to abide by DOT hours of service. So we're limited to more or less a 60 hour work week so that we can reset and come back the next week and, and go at it again. But you know, what we've learned over the years is when you follow those resets and the off time and, and stuff, we, we come back to the field fresh and, and we're probably more productive anyway. But it, it's hard to watch the sunshine and be sitting at home and not getting done with what, <laughs> what we'd like mm-hmm. to be getting
0: done. Yeah. Especially in, in agriculture, we know that there's only so yeah. many days we get to pick the farm and, and if we're subjected to restrictions, Hey, we're rest period. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's frustrating and the guys are wanting to go, but it's obeying the laws and making sure we're staying yeah. in tune that way.
1: I get the question a lot also, uh, well, hey, how you tracking on planting or how you tracking on harvest? And it's amazing. Usually, if you look at planting progress reports for farmers, I'd usually say we're probably right there with them just because of our distribution of sites and how we progress in planting. We move right along, but we have challenges too
0: a lot of times we know we're busy in season, but what are some of the things that our crews have to prepare for through the fall months after harvest and then throughout the winter to make sure that we can execute on all that busyness through the summer? Can you talk to a little bit about maybe how the trials are determined, positioned, placed, and the thoughts that go in and around that?
1: Yeah, we've got probably two separate processes here. Number one, we've got a site acquisition process that but- the managers go through every year starting in the south probably in august and the more northern latitudes probably september october they may start having conversations and then they'll work through the winter to to get contracts signed for all those sites but in the meantime simultaneously our project development processes are going on trying to determine what what we'll have for next year so it sounds kind of shaky how that all comes together but We do have some stability because we have what we call perpetual projects, I suppose. The trial looks the same in the field every year. We're just rolling different products through it. But then we do have some elasticity. We do kind of have a funnel for ideas that come in for projects. And then we try to end up with a final project list by, well, right after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And uh, after Thanksgiving, then, my teams go to work on, okay, what's this look like in the field? What kind of materials is it going to take? What kind of equipment? Uh, do we have the equipment today that we need to perform this trial protocol? How many locations can we start mapping things out? And then we hit the month of January, and we have a pretty collapsed time frame because when we package seed, we do it all at the same time. So if we're, uh, if we're filling packets of seed to, to be planted in, in Mississippi If there's a hybrid being planted there that also goes into Illinois, they all get filled at the same time. So we have a cutoff date of February 1st to have all of our site mapping done. And you sit at the computer and crank away every day on entry lists and trial maps and site mapping and protocol completion, really. The details of protocols kind of get nitpicked all the way through March and about now. But I think that we still have a couple protocols that are getting updated a little bit here and there, tweaked from time to time, so we want to have those locked down before everybody hits the field.
0: So you're saying that we don't just put ideas into a hat and then pull them out and then decide what we're going to do trials in <laughs> the
1: next year? Well, we put them in a hat. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, you said cloud, not
0: hat, I guess. Yeah. Maybe cloud, yeah, right? Cloud hat. So
1: <laughs> they get vetted pretty heavily, though, because we invest quite a bit of money in this program, and we want to make sure that things are as impactful as possible to as many people.
0: And, you know, some of the trial protocols, I mean, I get to see a few of them. And a lot of the times we're looking at agronomics or we're looking at maybe some products and trying to decipher the agronomic differences between those products. And then other times maybe it is looking at our own product and trying to figure out where it's best placed or positioned across the nation or the Corn Belt. So you're right. I mean, there's a lot of thought that goes into the placement, positioning, and then which products are we going to use for certain areas as a value, but also as a agronomic positioning to make sure that we're bringing the best thing forward for the growers that are using those products.
1: Yeah, you said it. It's very rare that we're just after a yield winner. Most of the time, our protocols have a number of measurements in them, And we want to learn just that, you know, positioning, placement. How does a product behave in different environments? Are there variables we can predict based off of what we see in our work that help us look forward and make recommendations on the farm? Mm -hmm.
0: So I guess that brings me to, I mean, you start thinking about All these trial protocols and, and, you know, generally its answer plot is anywhere from, you know, 15 to 40 acres in size. And you look at the trials and the replications. I mean, in the end, we got a lot of data. How do we take that data and still manage quality, make sure that it's quality data, but how is that taken and brought into a system where we could use it measure it, to compare it. Can you kind of paint the picture to our listeners of what that process looks like?
1: Well, it's difficult. First of all, we have the quality control processes that involve operational folks, right? We have different measurements. We calculate error. We have our data analytics team that looks at the data again, looks for biases that aren't natural or that we know aren't random. Both teams give a stamp of approval. And then the real work starts, okay? Okay. The real key is asking the right questions of the data Mm -hmm. and then rearranging the data and summarizing the data in different ways, trying to find those insights. Uh, It takes time, and it takes knowledge of crop production. It takes knowledge of chemistry or biology or a lot of things. So we usually do that in the form of teams, and those teams could have, well, you probably served on one john, an agronomist. Mm-hmm. marketing folks could be an answer flat person that, that specializes in something but someone from the data analytics team so you know you can't just rearrange data however you want right you have to follow rules so <laughs> he's a data analytics guy and that takes time when you work in teams, and it's deliberate. It's being thorough. It's coming up with ideas, scratching that idea, going back to the drawing board, coming up with another one, reworking the data. So that occurs all the way through the winter. And then meanwhile, my team, my operational team, if we don't stamp our approval on at least the quality end and move on, we would never find time to get 2019 nice underway stuff. or 2020 or the next year. You know.
0: So, I mean, we try to write these trial protocols in the best nature to say, here's our question. How is this trial going to help us answer it? But a lot of the treatments, I mean, so that maybe is straightforward to growers or some of the listeners to say, well, hey, you did the trial. Why can't you just provide the results? Because you knew what the question was and you said, well, here's the answer to the test. The problem that a lot of times we run into creating these groups that are looking at the data is a lot of times we'll run into... Well, guess what? The question we asked didn't take into account for Mother Nature doing what happened or maybe five different things happened and uh, weather environment situation and we don't have the data set that we'd like to feel comfortable making the decision. I mean, a lot of those things have to come into weight because, like you said... We don't get to really necessarily write the rules on how we look, and we want to make sure that the data that comes out is well-represented of, of what we're going to hang a reputation of saying, hey, this product does this, or, or here's how we would manage around this product. So I think there is some complications there that maybe have some hold up and need a little thought process added to the situation.
1: Yeah, quite often we learn things that we don't expect. Sometimes those are the greatest insights, but uh, they don't just jump out at you
0: all the time i'm john zook you've been listening to the deal with yield podcast for episodes find us on itunes spotify podbean and dealwithyield.com